You are listening to the Women's Health Practitioner Podcast. I am Dr. Sarah Wilson, naturopathic doctor, business owner, and practice mentor. And I am on a mission to change how women access healthcare and to change the lives and businesses of the practitioners who are delivering that healthcare. On the Women's Health Practitioner podcast, we are going to dive into the latest evidence that you need to know to provide your patients with the highest standard protocols. We are also going to talk about business principles, mindset challenges, and all of the things that are holding you back from giving yourself and your patients the best possible experience. I cannot wait to dive into the behind the scenes of how I support and educate both my patients and practitioners and bring you the latest and greatest in things that you need to know to thrive and to help your patients to do the same. Sit back, relax, enjoy the listen, and I cannot wait to hear from you in the reviews and also on Instagram. Hello everyone. Welcome back. I hope you guys had an amazing holiday season. However you celebrate, I really hope that it was filled with friends and family and joy and all of the beautiful things. Um, We had a massive snowstorm where I'm from, so it was filled with all of those things. It was extra cozy. It was lovely and small. Um, So it was was a beautiful one and also one of lots of shoveling. So today we are going to dive into a study that, mind you, was an animal study, but I think is really cool in terms of just to kind of show where we can use animal studies to inform thinking as opposed to um, informing treatment. And there's two huge differences there. I know when we're talking about animal studies in the context of um, people using them and saying that you can treat humans the same way, obviously there's huge issues there. But people always ask me, how my brain works um, in terms of making the connections that I'm making and how I can kind of forecast into the future what treatments I think are going to be popular and then having been around the block long enough, now seeing them as trendy and now seeing them as popular and, and all of those pieces. And there's really two or three big components to how I do this. One is that I don't stick my head in the ground and pretend that if there's no RCT available in women of a specific age group, um, that that means that it doesn't relate to my practice. And I think that's incredibly important to recognize that we can not necessarily, again, treat based on these different components, but we can use different things to inform our lens and start to make connections. And and I'll talk a lot about that today. Um, But two of the second piece to this is, again, recognizing that health is not that complicated. I'll say it again and again and again. I will never stop saying it because health is not that complicated. Um, And today's article really exemplifies some of these connections. And when you make the connections, you really, really do see health in a completely different way. And so um, this study that came out says metformin reverses Hashimoto's thyroiditis by regulating key immune events. And so that in of itself, just starting there, is a very interesting conversation. 
right? Because metformin is a medication that we typically use for insulin sensitizing, right? So we think of metformin as being able to reduce the amount of glucose pushed out by the liver, increase the amount of glucose taken back up and used by muscle. Um, We think of metformin as, again, an insulin sensitizer. So it's going to eventually lower insulin and support um, whole body health and cardiovascular outcomes. Now, we know that metformin also has negative, potentially negative implications on mitochondrial function. Um, We know a lot of things about metformin in terms of um, how it's working because it's it's a drug that's been used forever and it's honestly so frequently used now um, and so frequently researched that we we have a lot of really robust data. And so when new information comes out, it's about connecting the different pieces of the puzzle. So this was an animal study and they used metformin to see if there was decreased lymphocytic infiltration into the thyroid tissue, decreased thyroid um, anti-thyroid peroxide, peroxidase antibodies and decreased thyroglobulin antibodies. So those were the metrics. And it did show pretty significant decreases in all of those metrics. So this is where it gets really interesting, right? Because we know in practice, well, if you've been around with me long enough, you know I know (laughs) that when we are addressing core metabolic dysfunction, we are addressing immune dysfunction. And we, when we are addressing immune dysfunction, we are addressing core metabolic dysfunction, right? They loop together. This is why you can address inflammation and you can address insulin signaling and have knock-on positive impacts throughout the rest of the body because those are foundational aspects of health. And so we, when we're looking at, when I say we in this context, it's like me and the researchers, like we're besties, right? But we know that metformin, the way it works is by changing the gut microbiome. It's by changing mitochondrial function. It's by changing, um, well, there's some debate here, but some uncoupling proteins. It's about changing um, like all different aspects of of health. And so in those situations, especially when we're looking at changes in intestinal flora, we know that that has hugely positive implications on many different aspects of health. That is where when we talk about metformin versus berberine and things like that, again, we know that berberine is changing the gut microbiome. It's changing inflammatory potential. Metformin um, research is being done on all kinds of anti-inflammatory or inflammatory states and using metformin for its anti-inflammatory properties. And the results are pretty consistent, whether it's in animals or in humans, there is a really significant anti-inflammatory impact. And so this study essentially showed um, not only decreases in the metric, so thyroglobulin antibody, anti-TPO, lymphocytic infiltration, but there was also a decrease in the kind of TH17 predisposition, which is very important. So when we're talking about Hashimoto's, we know that it's not just, well, in any autoimmune condition, it's not just a clear um, Th1, Th2, Th17 pathway when we're talking about the different immune cells, right? And I talk about this in a lot of my courses. When we get into Th17, we know that it's it's part of why there's such a histaminergic presentation with a lot of um, Hashimoto's. 
And so we know there is a, a strong TH17 push in, in that condition. And so metformin was shown to reduce those TH17 cells, which is really cool. Um, it was also shown to decrease the M1 subset of macrophage, which are again, those very pro-inflammatory um, macrophages. There's kind of M1, M2 are the, the two main different patterns. And so with that, when we see decreases in inflammation, we see decreases in pretty significant um, inflammatory pathways. When we see really significant changes in the gut microbiome, we again can infer Well, we don't even have to infer. We know those things are true in humans as well. We just don't know if in humans with Hashimoto's, if you give them metformin, if it's going to help or not. But I have a podcast um, a, a little ways back now where we talked about essentially how when someone has hypothyroidism, um, they have a change in a protein called irisin, which can contribute to increased insulin resistance. And this is part of why we have patients who we treat their Hashimoto's and they're still not feeling better. Um, they still can't get traction. And that is due to a lot of different things. Some of it is inadequate treatment of Hashimoto's. I'm just going to put it out there. Um, It's not going to respond only to vitamin D and omega-3s. We need more significant treatment than that when we're dealing with autoimmunity. But the other piece to it is that a lot of our patients get stuck in a really significant loop of dysfunction where they're more insulin resistant, they have more glucose issues, and then feed forward, that makes the the hashies worse. And so if you have that situation, and now we're looking and we're saying, okay, well, metformin could be a useful intervention potentially in the insulin resistance piece. And I'm going to talk about the pros and cons of these things a lot more in my upcoming insulin resistance intensive. Um, We're going to talk a lot about pharmaceuticals because that's honestly the main question that I get is like, how do you know where to start? Um, But in this situation, if you have a patient with insulin resistance and Hashis, then that might be a twofer considering that it's going to help one and it may potentially help another, right? If you have a patient who you're treating for Hashimoto's and they're not getting better, but you haven't treated the insulin resistance component of things or the gut microbiome component of things, then again, that is a situation and a place to go and a place to think about. But this, these types of studies, again, in my mind, are just really critical connectors. They are giving us pieces of information that independently we can disqualify, right? So if you're looking and you say, okay, metformin has research in SLE, it has research in RA and IBD and MS and some of these different autoimmune conditions. And then you say, okay, well, metformin is also going to have negative implications on XYZ conditions, right? It's again, it's just giving you power to make more of a decision. I don't want to ramble too much because um, (laughs) I could go on for days and days about these different topics. But what I want you to take from this today, what I want you to put together today is that when we are considering inpatient care, what our goals are for treatment, we need to look at not only the patient's goals. So let's say a patient comes in with Hashimoto's. Their goals are to reduce brain fog, to improve energy, and to support weight regulation. Very common. 
Okay. And our goals are to reduce autoimmunity, right? That's what we want to do. We want to reduce the inflammatory state of the body. We want to properly assess the patient. We want to do blood work. We want to help the patient to understand their health. We want to empower them in their health. We want to give them back the keys to the castle. That's what I always say, right? Take it back. Like this is your choice. This is your body. This is your opportunity to understand, right? And then they go into the world. They've got their blood work. They've got their protocol. You're treating them for insulin resistance. You're treating their gut. You're treating these different things. And they're saying, okay, you know what, now I understand how this is all related. I now understand why I'm taking these different supplements or I'm taking metformin or I'm taking all of the pieces. Now I can understand how all of these things are working together to give me the outcome that I want, to drive me towards the place I want to be, which is reducing those three targets, right? They're now not looking when you can incorporate some of this understanding and some of these discussions into your treatments, right? They're now not looking at, okay, my doctor's prescribed metformin. It is a pharmaceutical and therefore not something I want to take, which I hear all the time, like all the time. And I need to take this thyroid medication, which is a pharmaceutical. And now I have to take these supplements to help with XYZ endpoints, right? They're looking at those things as all completely independent. When you can pull that together and you can say to a patient, listen, we have research on metformin in some autoimmune conditions. There is animal research, which is not yet proven in humans, but again, is a situation where the the mechanism of action is plausible and makes sense, right? To say that metformin might help in this situation, okay? Then you can say, this is how those pieces fit together and this is how they're playing into your ultimate goal and your ultimate kind of goal for the end outcome being feel better. Our goal is to get you on this medication for XYZ periods of time, whatever that looks like for you. And then to be able to reduce that, having broken you out of inflammatory loops, having broken you out of loops of dysfunction with your glucose and insulin. And that is why we need to do XYZ diet changes and to follow through with XYZ's other supplements, right? And then the patient can then make the decision for themselves. They can see how it all fits together. And this is why dropping these little articles for you guys in this podcast is really important to me is because it helps you contextualize treatment in a completely different way than if you are still the person who's looking at metformin as insulin and thyroid as thyroid medication and not recognizing that when we treat core physiological dysfunction, right, the five to seven causes of health, there is going to be that feed forward impact on everything else. And so I foundationally believe that the deeper we research a lot of these pharmaceuticals, right? Things like metformin and our GLP-1 receptor antagonists or Agnes and and all of those different things, we are going to see many, many feed-forward functions. And this is where we can be pharmaceutically positive, shall we say, um, with very set intervals, with very specific patients in mind and very set plans to get that patient off of that pharmaceutical and to allow them the opportunity to break their loops of dysfunction and then reduce things because we can understand how it's impacting the body on whole. So again, this research article was a very interesting and I would say very human plausible um, discussion 
of the anti-inflammatory impacts and how we can have these macrophage changes and we can have these TH17 changes um, from a medication that arguably is intended to work on our metabolic pathways. So uh, play with that today and really just open, we always joke in this house, well, open your understanding, uh, but work to open your understanding to give your mind the opportunity to play and explore with what different options and what different places, um, different supplements and pharmaceuticals and all of these things can have. Because again, this is extremely powerful and this is how we evolve our practices and care over time is understanding these pieces and then either using your practice as research or waiting and watching for other research to come through. Like this is something that I did with a lot of different compounds, like for example, quercetin. I've watched research on it um, in metabolic function for the last few years. And then all of a sudden, right, we had this opportunity where we could see in a challenged way um, how quercetin was working in multiple different environments. So this is really how you start to connect the dots in your practice and how you start to evolve your practice. And so that's why I wanted to bring this up today. So I hope you enjoyed. I will talk to you guys again very, very soon. Have a good day. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this show, I would love a review because that is how more people find out about us and ultimately get well. If you are a medical practitioner and you're interested in taking one of my courses to learn how to implement these research strategies, see naturopathicmentorship.com. If you're a patient, we have a couple of options. I can try to hook you up with one of my trained practitioners or alternatively, if you have a practitioner you love, I do offer one-on-one consults about your case to support that practitioner in learning further. For more information on these strategies, see the show notes. And finally, if you just want to keep in touch, I am always active on Instagram and Facebook, and I look forward to connecting with you there. Have a great day and be well.